Chapter Two of The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jason Mills. The Ship in the Creek. Then, it was nigh on to evening, we came upon a creek opening into the greater one through the bank upon our left. We had been like to pass it, as indeed we had passed many throughout the day, but that the boatswain, whose boat had the lead, cried out that there was some craft lying up a little beyond the first bend. And indeed so it seemed, for one of the masts of her, all jagged where it had carried away, stuck up plain to our view. Now, having grown sick with so much lonesomeness, and being in fear of the approaching night, we gave out something near to a cheer, which, however, the boatswain silenced, having no knowledge of those who might occupy the stranger. And so, in silence, the boatswain turned his craft toward the creek, whereat we followed, taking heed to keep quietness, and working the oars warily. So in a little while we came to the shoulder of the bend, and had plain sight of the vessel some little way beyond us. From the distance she had no appearance of being inhabited, so that, after some small hesitation, we pulled towards her, though still being at pains to keep silence. The strange vessel lay against that bank of the creek which was upon our right, and over above her was a thick clump of the stunted trees. For the rest, she appeared to be firmly embedded in the heavy mud, and there was a certain look of age about her, which carried to me a doleful suggestion that we should find naught aboard of her fit for an honest stomach. We had come to a distance of maybe some ten fathoms from her starboard bow, for she lay with her head down towards the mouth of the little creek, when the boatswain bade his men to back water, the which Josh did regarding our own boat. Then, being ready to fly if we had been in danger, the boatswain hailed the stranger, but got no reply, save that some echo of his shout seemed to come back at us, and so he sung out again to her, chance there might be some below decks who had not caught his first hail, but for the second time no answer came to us, save the low echo, naught but that the silent trees took on a little quivering, as though his voice had shaken them. At that, being confident now within our minds, we laid alongside, and in a minute had shinned up the oars and so gained her decks. Here, save that the glass of the skylight of the main cabin had been broken, and some portion of the framework shattered, there was no extraordinary litter, so that it appeared to us as though she had been no great while abandoned. So soon as the boatswain had made his way up from the boat, he turned aft toward the scuttle, the rest of us following. We found the leaf of the scuttle pulled forward to within an inch of closing, and so much effort did it require of us to push it back, that we had immediate evidence of a considerable time since any had gone down that way. However, it was no great while before we were below, and here we found the main cabin to be empty, save for the bare furnishings. From it there opened off two state-rooms at the forward end, and the captain's cabin in the after part, and in all of these we found matters of clothing and sundries, such as proved that the vessel had been deserted apparently in haste. In further proof of this we found, in a drawer in the captain's room, a considerable quantity of loose gold, the which it was not to be supposed would have been left by the free will of the owner. Of the state-rooms, the one upon the starboard side gave evidence that it had been occupied by a woman, no doubt a passenger. The other, in which there were two bunks, had been shared, so far as we could have any certainty, by a couple of young men, and this we gathered by observation of various garments which were scattered carelessly about. Yet it must not be supposed that we spent any great time in the cabins, for we were pressed for food, and made haste, under the directing of the boatswain, to discover if the hulk held victuals whereby we might be kept alive. To this end we removed the hatch which led down to the lazarette, 
and, lighting two lamps which we had with us in the boats, went down to make a search. And so, in a little while, we came upon two casks, which the boatswain broke open with a hatchet. These casks were sound and tight, and in them was ship's biscuit, very good and fit for food. At this, as may be imagined, we felt eased in our minds, knowing that there was no immediate fear of starvation. Following this, we found a barrel of molasses, a cask of rum, some cases of dried fruit, these were mouldy and scarce fit to be eaten, a cask of salt beef, another of pork, a small barrel of vinegar, a case of brandy, two barrels of flour, one of which proved to be damp-struck, and a bunch of tallow dips. In a little while we had all these things up in the big cabin, so that we might come at them the better, to make choice of that which was fit for our stomachs, and that which was otherwise. Meantime, whilst the boatswain overhauled these matters, Josh called a couple of the men, and went on deck to bring up the gear from the boats, for it had been decided that we should pass the night aboard the hulk. When this was accomplished, Josh took a walk forward to the forecastle, but found nothing beyond two seamen's chests, a sea-bag, and some odd gear. There were, indeed, no more than ten bunks in the place, for she was but a small brig, and had no call for a great crowd. Yet Josh was more than a little puzzled to know what had come to the odd chests, for it was not to be supposed that there had been no more than two, and a sea-bag, among ten men. But to this, at that time, he had no answer, and so, being sharp for supper, made a return to the deck, and thence to the main cabin. Now while he had been gone, the boatswain had set the men clearing out the main cabin, after which he had served out two biscuits apiece all round, and a tot of rum. To Josh, when he appeared, he gave the same, and in a little we called a sort of council, being sufficiently stayed by the food to talk. Yet, before we came to speech, we made shift to light our pipes, for the boatswain had discovered a case of tobacco in the captain's cabin, and after this we came to the consideration of our position. We had provender, so the boatswain calculated, to last us for the better part of two months, and this without any great stint. But we had yet to prove if the brig held water in her casks, for that in the creek was brackish, even so far as we had penetrated from the sea, else we had not been in need. To the charge of this the boatswain set Josh, along with two of the men. Another he told to take charge of the galley, so long as we were in the hulk. But for that night, he said, we had no need to do aught, for we had sufficient of water in the boat's breakers to last us till the morrow. And so, in a little, the dusk began to fill the cabin. But we talked on, being greatly content with our present ease, and the good tobacco which we enjoyed. In a little while one of the men cried out suddenly to us to be silent, and in that minute all heard it a far-drawn-out wailing, the same which had come to us in the evening of the first day. At that we looked at one another through the smoke and the growing dark, and even as we looked it became plainer heard, until, in a while, it was all about us. Aye, it seemed to come floating down through the broken framework of the skylight, as though some weariful unseen thing stood and cried upon the decks above our heads. Now through all that crying none moved. None, that is, save Josh and the boatswain, and they went up into the scuttle to see whether anything was in sight. But they found nothing, and so came down to us, for there was no wisdom in exposing ourselves, unarmed as we were, save for our sheath-knives. And so, in a little, the night crept down upon the world, and still we sat within the dark cabin, non-speaking, and knowing of the rest only by the glows of their pipes. All at once there came a low, muttered growl stealing across the land, 
and immediately the crying was quenched in its sullen thunder. It died away, and there was a full minute of silence. Then once more it came, and it was nearer, and more plain to the ear. I took my pipe from my mouth, for I had come again upon the great fear and uneasiness which the happenings of the first night had bred in me, and the taste of the smoke brought me no more pleasure. The muttered growl swept over our heads and died away into the distance, and there was a sudden silence. Then in that quietness came the boatswain's voice. He was bidding us haste every one into the captain's cabin. As we moved to obey him, he ran to draw over the lid of the scuttle, and Josh went with him, and together they had it across, though with difficulty. When we had come into the captain's cabin, we closed and barred the door, piling two great sea-chests up against it, and so we felt near safe, for we knew that no thing, man nor beast, could come at us there. Yet, as may be supposed, we felt not altogether secure, for there was that in the growling which now filled the darkness that seemed demoniac, and we knew not what horrid powers were abroad. And so through the night the growling continued, seeming to be mighty near unto us, aye, almost over our heads, and of a loudness far surpassing all that had come to us on the previous night, so that I thanked the Almighty that we had come into shelter in the midst of so much fear. End of chapter 2